Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by founding pastor John Ferguson as we continue our series, Simplify. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right, good morning. All right, good to be here today. Thanks for uh, joining us at Community, and my name's John, and I'm one of the teaching pastors, and boy, I couldn't be more excited about what Ted just talked about uh, in regards to our new location in Downers Grove. Uh, It's exciting to hear so many people, 200 people are already going to be a part of it, and uh, just excited about all the great things that are happening for the student ministry, Alpha, and more, and uh, boy, I just want to encourage you to be praying about that and be thinking about that. Maybe uh, this is an opportunity for you also to step into this and be a part of something brand new. Uh, Ted, I just want to say thanks to Ted, too, and just maybe acknowledge him if we could. Uh, yeah, he's just done a remarkable uh, job of coming and getting acclimated to community and uh, just feels like one of us and super excited about what God's going to do through him in Downers Grove and through us. I have a question for you as we kind of think about this uh, topic of Simplify. Do you remember how in the past stress was such a big problem? Do you remember that? How we were, you know, overwhelmed with to-dos, flooded with fears, kind of struggling to manage our anxieties. Do you remember that? You with me? And do you remember how we used to develop little habits when we were anxious? You know, like stress eating a quart of Ben and Jerry's ice cream before we went to bed. Anybody? Nobody will admit to that, right? Or how about biting your nails? All right. Any former nail biters in the room? Anybody, former. Anybody will admit that? Show of hands. Okay, a couple of you. Maybe that's just another form of stress eating. I don't know. That's really gross, isn't it? Uh, or my personal favorite, the leg bounce. Anybody else do that? The leg, some of your legs are bouncing even right now. If I'm in a meeting and I'm stressed out about something, you can bank on either one or both of my legs just kind of bouncing up and down. I mean, sometimes fast, sometimes slow. Usually it just looks like I need to go to the bathroom really bad. <laughs> kind of embarrassing. But, you know, thankfully... All of these habits are in the past now, right? I mean, it's like one invention seems to have just solved all of our stress problems. You know what it is, right? Anybody? Of course, it's the fidget spinner, right? Don't you, don't you have one of these? I mean, all it takes is this, right? I mean, just one spin and all our stress and anxieties just seem to kind of whirl away, don't they? Somebody said, yeah, wow, really? <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't really work like that, does it? I mean, think about it, if it was only that easy. I think most of us need way more than the latest gadget or toy to navigate the stress and pressure that we face almost every single day. So let me just ask you, how many of you have ever gone through a season where you felt completely overwhelmed? Quick show of hands. How many have ever gone through a season where you just felt almost completely overwhelmed. Sure, most of us, I think, have felt that weight. Life often feels overwhelming, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but I tend to blame it much on the externals. You know, the fast pace of life, you know, the pressure to keep up financially, the demands of my job. I mean, if only you knew how difficult my coworkers really can be. I won't mention any names right here. I think you know who I'm talking about. See me later. Uh, You know, the overwhelming to-do lists, right, that never seem to get done. And even the word overwhelmed seems to imply the presence of kind of an outside pressure, doesn't it? But what if the real problem isn't primarily external? 
What if the real problem is primarily internal? What if the issue isn't really the clutter out there? What if the real issue is the clutter that anxiety and fear and stress brings to our souls on the inside? See, I'd say almost all of us know what it's like to have a soul cluttered with stress, worry, and fear. Now, I think it's important right now that I make a clarification about what we are talking about and what we're not talking about today. There is a difference between anxiety and fear that we can and need to work on or kind of manage and that which requires counseling or medication. You know, we're not talking about clinical depression or chemical imbalances that we manage along with the help of professional support. What we're talking about today is the stress and the worry and the fear, those soul-cluttering anxieties that have been such a pervasive part of life for such a long, long time. You know, Jesus uh, saw this in his closest followers. He actually did. And it was toward the end of his time on earth, and he'd been telling his disciples that he was gonna die. He said that one of them was going to deny him. Another one was gonna betray him. And so you can imagine they were understandably anxious and fearful. And some of his followers were actually choosing to walk away. And in the midst of this just kind of whirl of worry, he offers them something he knew could simplify their souls. And here's what he says. You can read it along with me. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, a gift, peace of mind and heart. And then he says, the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And heart. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus knew that his friends were struggling with anxiety and fear. He knew that we also struggle with that. He knows how we long for this kind of true and deep peace of mind, a sense of calm in the midst of whatever storms life brings our way. And when Jesus said he was leaving us with a gift of peace, he wasn't offering just kind of a, you know, a momentary release from what worries us. He's talking about a shalom kind of peace, a deep and lasting peace that results in, in wholeness and completeness, a confidence that ultimately everything's gonna be okay. You know, all the stress and anxiety that we experience, uh, that's not God's dream for us. You know, when God created the world, he, we lived in perfect harmony and in perfect shalom, shalom with God and shalom with each other. And that harmony was quickly broken when the first human beings chose an alternative to plan to God's plan. And we've been living with the consequences of that and continue to do so ever since that happened. Scholar Cornelius Plantinga describes the concept of shalom this way. He says, shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation." Injustice, fulfillment, delight. Shalom, he says, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. Do you ever feel like things just aren't the way they ought to be? See, Jesus offers us a return to shalom, a return to the way things ought to be, a return to the way things God dreamed they would be. You know, Jesus' closest followers, they were physically with Jesus, but even so, like us, uh, they struggled to experience this peace that he offers. And on one occasion, they were just coming off one of the most incredible miracles of Jesus' ministry, where Jesus takes a paltry amount of food, five loaves and two fish, gives thanks to God, and then he feeds a crowd of 5,000 people. And it's in the shadow of that miracle that Jesus directs his disciples to go into a boat on a lake, and then Jesus goes up to a mountainside to pray. While the disciples are in this boat, a storm begins to rage. 
And Jesus knew his friends were in trouble, so he leaves the mountainside and he walks out on the water to their boat. Now, it seems like a rather matter-of-fact comment by the writer Matthew, like you and I walk down the street. Okay, Jesus goes for a stroll, except he's on the water. Must not have been so matter-of-fact. I mean, the disciples think he's a ghost. They cry out in fear. But let's read it from that point, okay? Because here's what happens. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So the storm comes up, and the disciples are understandably afraid and don't immediately recognize Jesus. When Peter realizes it's Jesus walking on the water toward their boat, he gets out of the boat and starts to walk on water himself. But what, in the middle of what must have been the most exhilarating moment of Peter's life, he sees the wind, notices the waves, and likely realizes what he's doing, walking on water. <laughs> and he's overcome with fear and begins to sink. And this is when I start to think, oh, Peter, I mean, you were so close, right? I mean, why didn't he keep his eyes on Jesus? Why did he let the waves get the best of him, right? I mean, he just witnessed all sorts of miracles, including the feeding of the 5,000, and now he's walking on water. I start to think less of Peter, like it would have been different with me as if I would have just kind of, you know, effortlessly glided across the water and fist bumped Jesus in, you know, in triumph. No, <laughs> But see, here's the deal. I think we actually have a greater vantage point than Peter. I think we have just as many reasons, maybe more reasons to trust Jesus. I mean, we can read about dozens of miracles that Jesus performed. We know how the whole story ends, right? Jesus dies and he is buried and he comes back to life after three days in a stone cold tomb. And the movement that Jesus started some 2,000 years ago, I mean, now it's, it's numbered over 2 billion people. And then on a personal level, I mean, I've experienced the miracle of finding my way back to God. I, I know the love and forgiveness of Jesus. He's given me a purpose that, that gives me tremendous focus in my life. He's surrounded me with an incredible faith community. I have an unshakable hope that I will spend eternity with him someday. And yet, in spite of all of that, I don't know about you, but I still get anxious. I'm often paralyzed by fear. And I'd say almost every day, I take my eyes off of him. And I begin to sink. I mean, just kind of a timely example. Recently, I, I took a long weekend off. Lisa, my wife, and I, we got away for a few days. And all in all, it was a pretty relaxing time. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, good time. But man, I mean, then Monday rolled around. I started looking at my schedule over the next few weeks. I began to compile my list of to-dos. And boy, I could just quickly feel the waves of anxiety beginning to get higher and higher and higher. Monday morning kind of is a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? And so I think we should probably give Peter a little more credit. I mean, at least he trusted Jesus enough to get out of the boat, right? I mean, his, his instincts were good. He wanted to be where Jesus was. And as long as he stayed focused on Jesus, he was able to move forward, right? But you know what? I've also found that sometimes the greatest anxiety comes up just as we're about to step out of the boat. 
And I couldn't help but think about that when Ted was talking about what's happening in Downers Grove and the opportunity we have to start a brand new faith community there that's just so, so, so much needed. And then I couldn't help but think about the growing number of people in this room who are gonna be a part of that new Downers Grove location. And, and I mean, this is just such a, an exciting, exciting time, such a once in a lifetime opportunity. It will, I, I have no doubt, be one of the most faith growing experiences you could ever have. I mean, that's stepping out of the boat, right? But you know what? I also know that leaving behind what we know, the familiar can be stressful and fearful. So maybe we're a lot more like Peter than we realize, huh? You know, when times get tough and the waves of, of worry kind of begin to rise, I often lose focus. I take my eyes off of Jesus and when I know he's the very one I can trust more than anybody or anything else. Any runners in the room? Anybody like to run? Go ahead, show of hands. Runners, are they all at the marathon? Anybody running the marathon today? If you are, it, you're really behind because it started a long time ago. And we have, we have a bunch of folks from community that are actually running today. So it'd be interesting to hear how they fared. Beautiful weather. But I found an article, I like to run, and I found a fascinating study in the Atlantic Journal and it was titled, Running Faster by Focusing on the Finishing Line or the Finish Line. And, you know, I was immediately interested, especially by the first two words in the title of that article, Running Faster. I, this may come as some surprise to you, but um, speed is not exactly one of my greatest attributes. So anything I can do to run faster, I will look into. But the article was an interesting study, and it said that we're, they found that people who actually gaze and fix their eyes on an object in the distance actually go faster and actually feel less exertion than those who let their attention wander to everything that's happening around them. Isn't that interesting? When you're running, if you actually fix your eyes and gaze your attention on an object in the distance, you'll actually go faster and feel less exertion. Kind of interesting, huh? But here's my question. Right, even if you're not interested in going faster, the speed of life is probably fast enough. Wouldn't you love to experience less exertion? <laughs> Are you with me? I mean, wouldn't you love to have less stress, less worry? And could it be that life sometimes feels slower or maybe takes more effort because like Peter, we get distracted by all the stuff that's happening around us. We lose focus. We take our eyes off of the very one whom we know we can trust. So the question is this. All right, here's the question. How do we unclutter our souls and keep our eyes on Jesus in the middle of whatever storm is raging? How do we do this? Well, the Apostle Paul, I think, gives us a great two-part lesson on simply trusting Jesus, no matter what life brings our way. In a letter he wrote to Christ followers in a city called Philippi, people much like us, Paul writes this in one section. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, I don't know about you, but if I see that, I'm thinking, okay, he better give us a little bit more than that. But I found something interesting about this particular passage of Scripture. The next two verses, I found that um, the Bible is the most highlighted book on Kindle. Did you know that? They keep those stats. And no other book is highlighted more than the Bible when it comes to Kindle books. And these words right here from Philippians 4, 6, and 7, they're the most highlighted words in the most highlighted book on Kindle. I thought that was interesting. Maybe I'm just a little bit of a geek when it comes to those kind of stats. But what it tells me is, okay, this must be pretty relevant stuff. And so let me ask you, 
Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. What are you anxious about today? What has you stressed out? I mean, is it the chaos we see in the news or on social media? I mean, there's plenty of that, huh? Is it a relationship that has you worried? Or maybe the lack of one? I don't know, maybe your uh, fears center around your finances or your job. Or, Or maybe you're just anxious about the future. I mean, our world more and more just seems like a crazy mess, doesn't it? And see, whatever it may be, God doesn't want us to live with stress and worry just cluttering up our souls. That's not his dream for us. And I think we know deep down that's not how things ought to be, right? And so Paul goes on to say, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul says, when you feel that anxiety, when you feel yourself sinking in every situation, pray, fix your eyes on Jesus, talk to him. And he first says to pray with thanksgiving. First pray with thanksgiving. Now that's interesting. Now, when I think about thanksgiving, you know, I think about putting my hand up like this. I do. I I think about putting my hand up like this because I see this as sort of a way of acknowledging God for the ways he's taken care of me and provided for me in the past over and over again. Now, sometimes you see people doing this when they're singing, when they're in worship, right? During the service. Some people are like, I mean, they're like really into it. They got both hands up. Others are kind of just, I'm not sure, you know, like in between. But I think what we're really doing there is we're acknowledging God. We're saying, God, I am grateful for you have taken care of me in the past and I know you're gonna provide for me in the future, see? I kind of wonder if when Peter took those first steps out of the boat, maybe he, he raised his hand up like this. Jesus, yeah, this is awesome. I'm walking on water. can't believe it. How great is this? I think it's a way to thank God for, for what he's done and what we know he will do. And so do me a favor right now. Just kind of hold your hand up for a minute like this, all right? Hand up in thanksgiving. And when we pray with thanksgiving, what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves of God's goodness for all that he's done for us in the past and reminds us that he can be trusted in the here and now to get us through whatever it is we're going through. You can put your hands down. So when we're anxious, when we're beginning to feel the waves of worry beginning to rise, maybe washing over us, and we're feeling stressed out, this, I know, seems somewhat counterintuitive, but I want you to do this this week, and I want you to raise your hand up like this when you do it also. I want you to pray with thanksgiving. Begin with thanksgiving. Begin with your hand up and thank God for how he has proven himself trustworthy over and over again. Will you do that? Well, Paul then says to petition God. And that means to appeal or, a plea or a appeal or plea to God. Or as Paul goes on to say, present your requests to God. Now, when I think of presenting my requests to God, I think about you know, putting my hand out like this. You know, because I'm asking God for something. I'm coming to him as his child and I'm asking him. And you know what? My hand is open and it's out because I'm expecting something in return, right? Think about that. So do me a favor right now. Go ahead and put your other hand out like this, okay? Like just like this. See, in petitioning God, we acknowledge our utter dependence on him. We are placing our trust in him. And what happens when we come to God in prayer, thanking him on the one hand and and petitioning him, presenting our request to him on the other hand, Paul says something mysterious, almost unexplainable happens. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
You see that? When we begin with prayer and we thank him right, right here and we present a request to him right here, I believe Jesus will reach out to us just like he reached out to Peter. You know what? And he will replace that worry and anxiety in our soul with a simple yet unexplainable peace of heart and mind that we can only find in him. Hand up in thanksgiving. Hand out in petition. See, prayer... It's how we keep our eyes on Jesus and trust him to get us through whatever it is we're going through. How about that? You know, I remember when uh, we first started taking our kids, my son Graham and my daughter Chloe to the pool to learn how to swim. Now, I won't tell you which one was which, but in our case, Graham was terrified and Chloe couldn't wait to get into the water. Uh, The truth is, I think Graham was uh, actually aware of the potential danger and my daughter couldn't give a rip. She just wanted to get wet. And if you have kids or you've been around kids around the pool, you know how it works. You know, they kind of begin to kind of dip their toe in the water, but they remain safely on the sides of the pool until I would jump in, extend my arms out, and wait for them to jump in knowing that I would catch them, right? But I didn't take long until they became more courageous. And, you know, they didn't really need me to be there, but I would still be there. They wanted me to because they knew they could trust me to, you know, catch them in case they began to sink, But you know what? In some ways, I think that's what it's like in our walk with God. You know, the the more we choose to trust him, the more our fears and anxieties, I believe, will subside in faith. It doesn't mean that our problems will go away. It doesn't mean we're not gonna face difficult times, but it does mean we can move forward into the water as our trust grows stronger and stronger and we will experience shalom, a completeness and a wholeness that transcends all understanding. And I want to challenge you to lift one hand up in thanksgiving and the other hand out in petition and trust. Simply trust. And you see what happens? Yeah, when my one hand is up in thanksgiving and my other hand is out in petition, guess what? I can no longer hold on to whatever worry and stress so wants to clutter my soul and keep me from trusting Jesus. And then I get to experience this peace this wholeness, this completeness that simply transcends all understanding. Here's what I'm gonna do. I wanna finish this a little differently this morning. And I'm gonna ask if you would to go ahead and stand up and I wanna pray with you. I wanna pray alongside you. I want us to pray together. And I also want you to take, take the risk here and uh, let's pray with thanksgiving. Let's pray with petition, presenting our requests to God and, and go ahead and hold our You know, our right hand up as we express our thanks and our left hand out as we petition God. Okay, would you do that with me? I'm gonna pray. Father God, we we come to you today and we, we come to you with one hand up in thanksgiving and the other hand out in petition. And God, even in the midst of whatever it is we're going through right now, God, we still, we're gonna, we're gonna come to you in spite of whatever challenges and difficulties we're facing. We're gonna come to you. We thank you for your goodness, your love, your grace, your provision. God, we sing a song all the time around here that reads like this. Though I walk through the valley of death with my fears and all my regrets, though the darkness surrounds all I am, I'll praise you. So God, in spite of how we feel and in the midst of our stress and fear, we choose to praise you. We thank you. But at the same time, Father, we come to you with our other hand out in petition because we are your children and we know you, our loving Father, loves to give us good gifts. And so with all the faith and trust we can muster, which might not be that much, we boldly ask you for what we need. 
And so go ahead right now and just take a moment and ask, ask God for what you need. as your children with one hand up we thank you and with the other hand out we ask you in the precious and good name of our Savior Jesus